everybody. Happy Tuesday afternoon. Welcome back to another episode of Great Quarter Gals, the show where myself and my co-host, Grace Sharkey, talk about the amazing women in our incredible industry and what they're doing. And Grace, welcome back. I hope you had a good long weekend. Maybe got some relaxation done. I know you had Friday off as well, so it's like extra long for you. Uh, you know, I did the complete opposite. I uh, went to a wedding and celebrated my mom's retirement. So it was a, a good one for sure. <laughs> and also the new Beyonce album dropped, right? And I'm sure that you're super excited about that. Very excited. I'm pleased you asked me about that. I did not think that would come up. But hey, as a women in transportation show, I think Beyonce of all people would be happy to to hear us talking about her. So yes, more to come and uh, more praises from me, I'm sure. You know who she said the best, you run the world, girls. And it's true when we talk about the world of shipping too. So like, it, it, it all ties in, it all comes together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let's get started today. We've got a really exciting guest today talking about hitting the high seas with Lauren Beacon, the self-proclaimed maritime professor. And we're excited to have her on. But before we get there, let's talk about some news stories of the day, Grace. And this one's all kind of ocean focused, right? Last week, we got the news Ocean Shipping Reform Act has passed Congress. They gave it two thumbs up, headed to Biden's desk, where he said he'll sign it. Let's touch on this just a little bit. This is the House passing the Senate version of the bill which is pretty all-encompassing. It was almost a unanimous passage. Yeah, exactly. You know, what's really great about this is that it, it's a very good um, bipartisan issue. You know, there's a lot of jobs on the line when it comes to this, so I, I'm not surprised to see both parties involved. And there's a, Clearly, it's a business issue. So it's uh, for me, I was excited to see that this went through as smoothly as it did. Um, I think that there was some really interesting points that... Um, were addressed in this. And, it, it, you know, it's, it goes back to what we've been saying the last couple of months, especially with, you know, as many um, uh, new users of, of sonar and new readers that we're seeing. It's people are very invested in how their supply chain is working. When you see groceries go up in the store like they have and you see inflation rates like you're seeing today, you, you're going to trickle that all the way down to to literally the global shipping costs at the end of the day to figure out what's going on. And so I am I was just really excited to see that the administration got this done so quickly and that both sides were, of course, a part of this as well. Absolutely. And as we see the Ocean Shipping Reform Act passed, the first legislation that's kind of revamping what's going on in the ocean shipping sector since the late 90s. So that's really good news there. And as we're seeing that happen, we're also starting to see some more movement from the ports in the West Coast, where a lot of the attention has been focused these last two years, rightly so, because at one time we had over 100 ships lining up in queue outside the ports of LA and Long Beach. Now that queue has decreased. We've seen a lot of shippers now change their destination from West Coast over to the East Coast ports. East Coast ports seeing record throughput now. Georgia Port Authority hitting an all-time volume record in May, moving 519,390 TEUs, May volumes in 8.5% year-over-year increase. Grace, Bill Priest likes to play good idea, bad idea on our roundtable sometimes here on Freight Waves Now. So I'm going to play that with you too. Do we think that good idea or bad idea, seeing shippers continue to move their freight from West to East Coast, even though that backlog on the West Coast is now starting to pull back a little bit? Great idea. I think this is the agile supply chain that we we keep talking about. Being able to choose different suppliers and be able to um, watch and see what rates are at different ports. That, I mean, 
look at the incredible uh, data behind Sonar and how you can literally see ahead of time and choose where you want to go based on pricing and volume. That That's the point of all this, right? It's, it's quite literally the point. And that's what I'm seeing when I see this move in volume from ports to ports is that we're getting some really great decision makers who also are more than likely using data to make those decisions. Um, and a lot of this visibility type of investment that we've seen over the last two years is paying off with actual uh, working products, right? Something that's Mm going to tell you, hey, your suppliers need to be coming into this port compared to the others. And what happens when we do that? It creates a more stable market. We're going to see probably less huge congestion in one place like we've seen in the past because we're constantly going to know, okay, where should I be sending my ship that's going to get it um, unloaded in a, a proper amount of time. Absolutely. And for information on that, hit up Henry Byers to check out FreightWave Sonar Container Atlas, our latest release, hbyers at FreightWaves.com, or just go give him a follow on Twitter or LinkedIn. He'll take care of you when it comes to Container Atlas. Grace, now really quickly before we get to our guest, International Maritime Women's Day, International Women in Maritime Day. Talk to us a little bit about the logbook. Yeah, so I do this human interest column on Saturdays called The Logbook, where I break down really cool stories within our industry that might not just be like, hot investment news or, or anything like that, but you know, just bringing it back to the people. And uh, for the first time this year, we actually celebrated as a world, not even as a country, uh, the IMO had put into place the first International Day for Women in Maritime. And honestly, I was pretty shocked when I saw some of the statistics uh, of the 1.6 million seafarers. So that's just women that work on the merchant ships themselves, not even including freight forwarding or anything like that. Only 2% of those of those people are women. So when we talk about, I believe it's like a 10% average for, for trucking, we're uh, life lifetimes away when it comes to the amount of women in this industry as well. There's plenty of different roles and really great issues that um, the the industry is looking for their support and and thoughts on. So um, I was really great to see that uh, the IMO Basically, they told themselves, you know, we want to start pushing ourselves towards the same UN standards that a lot of uh, companies you are now seeing push towards with uh, their various ESG initiatives. And and why not start by pointing out a day? So I believe that's every day uh, moving forward in uh, May 18th. Uh, so congrats to all those women out there. That's a hard job. Uh, I had an uncle that used to do, uh, it was in, used to be in a sub uh, for the army uh or the navy and it's can you imagine like being on sea for that long as long as these women are and we talk about you know trucking getting women home in time to see their families so uh there's a lot of uh, dedication for the that two percent of women out there on those ships absolutely and it's incredible to see that dedication to you represented and we need more representation as always so you can find all of those stories up on freightwaves.com read the details of them there some written by Grace Sharkey, some written, of course, by our Washington correspondent, John Gallagher, as well. Find them on American Chipper, too, for all of your maritime needs. So, Grace, now let's welcome our guest. We've got Lauren Began with us, who is the self-proclaimed maritime professor. She's the CEO of the Maritime Professor. She hosts a podcast by Land and by Sea. She's honestly just one of those incredibly awesome female leaders in the industry who, first off, has struck out and done her own thing and made it work really, really well in an area that, as you said, is really underrepresented by women. So Lauren, thank you for joining us on the show. You are like the epitome of the women that we try to highlight on this show. We're honored to have you on. 
Uh, well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. This is so great. Nice to nice to see you both. Yeah, no, this is really exciting. We had uh, Lauren on the SiriusXM show a couple weeks ago, diving into the fact-finding, uh, fact-finding 29. And now today we have a number of topics to dive into. And as you guys know, Lauren is the maritime professor, so she knows how to get through all of these. I guess the first one, let's start with you, Lauren. What made you want to become quote unquote, the maritime professor, get into this industry and then create your own show behind it. Sure. Well, you know, I think the, the entire industry was finding that there it was so segmented, right? I mean, so I come from the ocean side of things. I think it's important to kind of have that understanding of what's happening in the ocean world. Um, so, you know, I, I worked at the Federal Maritime Commission for a while. I am a maritime attorney. I uh, worked at the Federal Maritime Commission as the international affairs attorney for the commission, which was a great way of really getting to know the industry, seeing what was out there, um, you know, learning a lot of really interesting and high-level things um, about the ocean shipping industry in general. So the Federal Maritime Commission regulates ocean shipping generally. Um, but then, you know, for family reasons, I moved up, up to New England, worked at the port directly, and what a great experience. I was able to have boots on the docks. And I mean, what a great pairing to have that high-level, helicopter-level experience, but then also have that boots on the docks experience so I can feel what it felt like to be part of the user experience. And so, you know, I still miss the, miss the national conversation, the international conversation. Um, you know, I, I think everybody was found themselves in the great COVID reshuffle. And, and I was part of that. I'd always wanted to start my own consulting company. And so I did that. So um, like I said, I am a maritime attorney. So the first step was I created Squall Strategies, which is my legal outfit. Um, that's where I really dive into some of the legal questions that people have about the regulatory process of what the FMC is doing. How does that affect your business? Um, you know, really kind of translating. That's what I like to say. I translate the law um, and translate the, what you know, what's going on in the regulatory side. Um, but not every question is a legal question. And I was getting a lot of general questions about the ocean shipping world. So I thought, you know, well, I, I actually am an adjunct professor in a few different schools. So I thought, you know what, why don't I try to figure out a way of having this direct relationship that doesn't always have to be legal and doesn't always have to be, you know, kind of making sure that we, we fit into all the legal boxes. Um, so I created the Maritime Professor. And that's exactly what it is, is the non-legal outfit. So the Maritime Professor hosts my weekly podcast show, my, my weekly LinkedIn live show on Fridays at 1 p.m. Um, called By Land and By Sea, an attorney breaking down the week in supply chain. Um, you know, I also have, I'm building out an e-content learning course that's going to be on the maritimeprofessor.com. Uh, make sure to sign up so you'll be, you'll be alerted when um, that goes live. I'm, I'm so excited with how the content's coming around for that. But that's what it is, is really making sure that we have by land and by sea, both sides of the supply chain, not just the surface transport, not just the ocean transport, but everybody understands each other. Um, you know, I think that the agencies are trying to do that as well, but sometimes you just need that organic movement and you need somebody to translate it in real people speak. And so, you know, if the lawyers are talking to the lawyers, nobody's really going to win there. So if the <laughs> lawyers are, are translating, I think that that's important. <laughs> And so, Lauren, this la these last two years have really put everybody's eyes on supply chain. If you didn't know what supply chain was before, then you absolutely do now. And it kind of, everybody's realized the impact that general transportation has on their lives, whether they wanted to ha know that impact or not. So talk to us a little bit about some of the m most common misconceptions that you maybe see the public garnering about general supply chain or transportation overall. And then how do shows like what you're doing, like what other folks are doing on LinkedIn kind of help break down some of those misconceptions and break into the audience that's more than just the B2B audience. Yeah, I mean, so I think that some of the misconceptions certainly around ocean shipping 
is just not understanding the the terms, you know, what's going on. Um, or there's a lot of there's a lot of sensationalism that comes with it. There's a lot of kind of um, you know, it's it's probably going to find its way into the political sphere this fall. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of people claiming wins on, um, you know, what may have otherwise naturally just been a change of trade, or maybe there's some, some um, you know, actual effect that's that's been happening from people making decisions. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest thing is that the alliances that we talk about, so there's three ocean alliances, or three um, ocean alliances, which are the ocean carriers kind of forming together in these um, they're really vessel sharing, maybe operational sharing um, groups. So these alliances are not cartels. And there's a lot of talk about them being cartels. They don't rate set. They're not allowed to talk about rates and they have to compete with each other. So either, you know, there's three different alliances. Each alliance itself doesn't have more than a 20 or 30% market share. Collectively, all three make up about just over 80% market share, but that's all three alliances. And so within each, each of these alliances are three, four, six different ocean shipping companies. And so you have these basically three different buckets and they're competing with each other. And the reason why they really were started was because, you know, in the, in the 2010s, that it was really difficult for the ocean carriers to make any money. And so they started to kind of move together. I mean, it's so ridiculous, right? That the ocean carriers couldn't make any money for a while. Um, they're, they're putting up billions of dollars of profits now. Um, but, you know, it was really difficult business. And instead of having some of these carriers go out of business, go bankrupt, we saw bankruptcy, which everybody thought could never happen. Um, it provided better service. We were able to have access to more service lines, um, more ocean shipping routes. And so that's what the alliances were really kind of designed to do was to provide a better service for the shippers, to provide more options so that, you know, the vessels that are going a certain route, kind of like, you know, we've talked about this before in, in uh, Grace's shows, it's kind of like the air alliances, you know? So we all kind of know that you, you might hop on a United flight, but you might not actually be on United. You might be on a code share flight, but all you know is you book through United. It's similar. It's not quite exactly the same, but it's similar to the ocean shipping world. Um, so previously, you might have been on a Southwest flight and you had to go five different places. Now, because of the alliance, you're going to be able to go a little bit more directly there. And so, you know, it's... Uh, to call them cartels, they are still competing. There is the FMC is monitoring their actions and their activities, and like I said, they're not talking about rates. Rates would put it into a different category. You know, arguably that might be edging into cartels. They're not cartels. They really are competing with each other. And the FMC, the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, and Department of Justice, all three looked at what the alliances were doing and found they didn't just say some competition. They said vigorous competition. Those are the three top trade regulating agencies. If they can't find a, a cartel here, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm apt to believe them. Um, you know, they, they would be happy to find one. You know, they're pretty much neutral, but they would be happy to find one and, and regulate on it. But they just didn't find it. And, you know, it's funny, we talk about the margins of the trucking industry, and we brought this up, it's been a record-setting year for, for these shippers to bring in the profits that they have. So when you talk about in the next election series, you know, how, how that's going to be brought up, if it's going to be, you know, look what I did, it's, uh, <laughs> I think it's a little bit more of a market move than, than anything else. And uh, speaking of administrations, we just had the Biden administration pass the uh, Ocean Shipping Reform Act. I'd love to get your views on it. Uh, is there anything that you are really excited about or is there maybe something that you wish would have been put in there that was, was left out? 
Yeah, I mean, so Ocean Shipping Reform Act. So this is, um, it's been going through for maybe the past year. Um, it's the uh, OSRA, people call it. There was the House version that went through real quick earlier. It was a little more restrictive. We had the Senate version go through. It really started just February of this year. So four and a half, almost five months ago. Um, previously, so what Ocean Shipping Reform Act does is it modifies the Shipping Act. And the Shipping Act is the, the statute, the, the law um, that the FMC gets, gets its authority from. Really, the, it regulates all ocean shipping um, that's, that's seeing its way into the U.S. And so now the Ocean Shipping Reform Act is modifying that. So we last saw OSRA 98, the Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 98, make some changes. That took eight years to negotiate. So now we're seeing OSRA 21, 22. Uh, this is now called OSRA 22. Um, I mean, they've been talking about this for just about a year. Um, I get nervous when when Congress makes such large moves um, with such a shortened timeline. I, you know, I understand it. This there was a lot more intensity around this one. They really wanted to to be doing something. You know, I think a lot of people were were kind of saying, "Oh my gosh, isn't somebody going to do something?" So Congress wanted to step in. Um, you know, the FMC has a lot of authority here. I think they were also trying to do something. I've said it before. The Federal Maritime Commission isn't super fast, but they are very effective. They are very purposeful. They are methodical in how they go through. So we're already seeing that. We're already seeing the FMC kind of go through. Um, and clean up some of the bad acting. But so so let's talk about Azra. So I mean the fact that people are talking about ocean shipping is a win. You know, I good, bad, and ugly, having the conversation means that people are paying attention. But I think that now it's our job to make sure that the message is correct. Um, you know, you can't really generate the interest very easily, but you can correct the messaging and you can have mm-hmm. honest conversations about about what's happening. And so Azra is I think in general it's a win. You know, I'm I'm 70% happy with it. Like I said, I'd love to see a little bit more time spent on it. But I think that this starts the conversation. And I think that now we're going to build to that. Some of the things that I think it was missing, um, you know, so when the talking back about the alliances, um, when alliances file their agreements with the FMC, the FMC isn't allowed to deny them. So in order for an alliance agreement to not go into effect, the FMC has to bring a suit against it. They can't just deny it. Um, seems like that's, a, you know, previously, it was to try to make sure to really facilitate this what was seen as a as a benefit to the the shipper generally, um, but you know now it's gotten to be a little bit like well we should have the what if somebody submits an alliance agreement and they're like ninety percent market share you're like absolutely not <laughs> you know um, yeah. but the FMC should should be able to say that should be able to say absolutely not and and likewise you know when when alliances were created they were a new thing so nobody really kind of knew what was what was to come, there wasn't a renewal period built in. And I would have liked to have seen a renewal time period. So in the alliance agreements themselves, they have renewal periods, but the FMC doesn't have a, after 10 years, you're going to have to refile, um, which would have been a wonderful way, just a benchmark to check back in. Um, you know, the FMC is monitoring it generally, which is wonderful, um, but they're also busy. They're very busy these days. As You know, everybody actually knows who they are these days, and they only have 120 people working there compared to some of these other agencies that have thousands of people. Uh, 120, that's that's so crazy. Um, but, you know, so I, I think that having a period, a time period built in for like a renewal, an, a dedicated time that that alliance has to refile, they have to re kind of justify what they're doing, that would have been great to see. Lauren, I want to kind of finish this up, keeping us on this governmental thread and talking about the relationships that have really developed between the different factions of government when it comes to overseeing ocean shipping so far this year. Of course, we have Congress and our main executive branch passing the Ocean Shipping Reform Act, coming from overarching as it is, 
Um, and then we also have cooperation between the FMC and then the Biden-Harris Supply Chain Task Force, which of course has now gone through this reiteration of leadership in the ports, going from Daniel Maffei to Stephen Lyons, who was tasked with transportation and logistics in the Department of Defense. Can you talk a little bit about the cooperation that it really takes from the government side to operate on three or four different administrations, different kind of acting sides of things, and how that either benefits or is a detriment to getting actually things done? Well, so I think, you know, I think first off, it's, it's, it gets a little confusing the more, hand, you know, the more cooks we have in the kitchen here. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Chairman Maffei is the, is the chairman of the Federal Maritime Commission. We had John Picari, who was the previous port envoy um, to the task force for the Biden-Harris administration. And now we have, um, we have retired Admiral Stephen Lyons, which I am really encouraged by him. I think that he's going to do great things. He's obviously worked with logistics before and DOD related logistics is always going to be a little bit more precise. I think logistics really benefits and thrives with, um, you know, kind of a very methodical militant, if you will, kind of, you know, um, uh, approach. And so I think that he's going to be great. So talking about his actual role, you know, when, when COVID hit, when, when congestion hit, everything was kind of happening all at the same time. And we kind of just needed to figure out, well, who's in charge here? And so that's what I believe that the Port Envoy role really was, was trying to figure out, okay, everybody in a room, let's pull everybody together. We're going to start delegating and we're going to start tackling everything. Um, And I think it was a little bit taking inventory on who had what authorities, um, because previously, you know, the ocean shipping didn't really move that quickly. I mean, you know, an age old industry. And, um, you know, I I think it was it was very helpful to get somebody to bring everybody all in. I think that the FMC is really stepping into their role. um, But they still need a few more people to be working there to really be able to to handle their new role. So in the meantime, having somebody still available to kind of be that mediator that that um, logistics provider, if you will, um, of the the port envoy role um, that that Admiral Lyons is is now taking over. I, I think there's still value to it. Um, the danger is there isn't any regulatory authority. There really isn't any congressionally mandated authority in the role. So that's what they. That's what I see the role as being is really kind of a bring together moment. Somebody who is really trying to focus on on facilitating the conversation and making sure that people are on the same page. You know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that that's good. I think that having somebody, you know, kind of at the front of the room saying, all right, guys, let's, let's all chat together. Let's, let's figure it out. Let's, let's make a plan is good. But I think that we also need to make sure that we're affording for the regulations and the authorities that we have out there in our federal agencies. I mean, they're there for a reason. And I'm, I'm so thrilled that people are kind of coming around to the different agencies and learning what they do. Yeah, it definitely. It's, it, it's like you, you brought it up in the first comment you made, which is at the end of the day, it's just really great to see that this is part of the whole federal country narrative as a whole. And, uh, one last question for you. We talked about the Women's Day, uh, International Women's Day for Women in Maritime. If there was one thing you could say that the maritime industry could do to either retain or recruit more women. What do you think that would be? You know, I think it's going to be tough. Um, well, without going too far into it, I think and this is what we're seeing on both ocean shipping and now in the trucking community too. I think making it a actually safe environment. Um, and I don't mean that as, you know, we need to be, um, you know, making it a, a, a 
actually safe. I mean, there is sexual assault happening. There's sexual harassment happening. Um, you know, on the ocean side of things, we call it SASH, sexual assault and sexual harassment. Um, there's a lot of activity being, um, there's a lot of attention being drawn to it, rightfully so. We need to clean that up. You know, I mean, if, if that's still happening, that's terrible. And, and to hear um, some of the reports out of, you know, just the other day on What the Truck, um, you know, the, the reports yeah. of women in the trucking industry having such a terrible experience as well. Um, I mean, that's like, I mean, basic human rights like that. You, you can't have that happen. Yeah. So, you know, if, if that's mm-hmm. still happening out there, we have to clean that up. Um, but, you know, let's let's kind of not to diminish that because that is so important. But, you know, let's let's find ways of making it a little bit more friendly to the, the women. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I think having organizations such as the Women's International Shipping and Trading Association, which put out this new holiday, um, this international celebration with the IMO, uh, was such a great move forward because, you know, whether there were some surveys associated with it and there was some attention drawn to it and having a dedicated day, you know, it, it seems like, well, it's just a, a day and it's just another holiday. But to have that actual attention drawn to it, I think is so important because now we can start building off of that. We can start saying, well, of course we have this day. It's important. And to keep moving forward and, you know, we can create, like I said, surveys of the industry, see what's working, see what's not, see what problems are still out there, see why women aren't being able to be more than 2% of the of the workforce um, of the ocean shipping world. So, you know, I, I like the attention being drawn to it. I think, um, you know, women who want to get into ocean shipping or, or just generally maritime, um, look up WISTA, WISTA, Women's International Shipping and Trading Association. It's a really great kind of high level, really good networking um, association. And it's, it's tough chicks, you know, I'm like the maritime world is, is tough chicks. So, um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that it, I don't know. I, I'm hopeful that it's going to be something that women are more drawn to, whether it's land side or ocean going. Um, you know, ocean going is obviously a difficult thing for, um, families generally, whether it be men or women. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, it, it's across the board. There's a lot of industries that, that are pretty difficult for being away from home. Um, but, you know, I think being very aware and very cognizant is is the first step and, and drawing attention to some of the really terrible things that are happening. Yeah. Awesome, Lauren. Well, we thank you so much for joining us today. Great to have you. And of course, we'll give her a follow on LinkedIn if you haven't yet. You can catch us Tuesday afternoons right here live at three o'clock and we'll see you guys next week. One, two, three, go! 